the Lord together and thank Him for His goodness and His greatness. Lord, we thank You. We praise You. We acknowledge You. Hallelujah. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. I'm thankful for the freedom that God brings to us and the opportunity that we have to come to the house of God and acknowledge that and worship Him. Amen. Praise Him. Praise God. I'm thankful for everything that God is doing. My Sunday night was amazing. So many things happened Sunday night. Uh, <laughs> there were just a lot of things that happened Sunday night. We had a move of the Holy Ghost Sunday night. I'm thankful for the move of God's Spirit. Amen. We gave Brother Green an opportunity to hit the gavel. He hit the gavel more times than I think I've hit the gavel. <laughs> I tried to count. I went back and tried to count. I couldn't count, Brother Green. You were hitting it so fast and so furious. It was more than three times. The prophet told Joash, this is victory, this is revival. Smite the ground with the arrows. These arrows represent revival. He smote the ground three times. Three times. Amen. But when Brother Green stepped up to hit the gavel, if that represents revival, it was more than three times. If that represents people being baptized, that was more than three times. If it represents people receiving the Holy Ghost, it was more than three times. I hope God moves with the same enthusiasm that he hit the gavel on Sunday night. Praise God. Why don't you say, we agreed together in this place. God's got revival for us as many times as we're willing to put our faith before him. Amen. Praise God. And so that happened. And, and then, uh, I, most of you probably didn't recognize it or know, but Latasha and Eloina's kids, when Brother Brock said, say amen, they said amen for all of you. They said it for all of you. And the look on their faces, their parents' faces was hilarious. Don't restrict them from that, Sister Look. Make, make the house of God a place where, where they can express themselves. I said make the house of God a place. Uh, that pastor's wild and the kids are wild. and Yeah, let them be wild. We need to be wild in the house of God. Things need to be in order and decent, but don't ever put your finger on a young person or a child that is jumping up and down and worshiping God. Praise God. I would rather them do that here in the house of God than the world to take them somewhere else. We've got an opportunity to celebrate God's goodness. I'm not holding back. I'm giving God everything that I've got. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. So that happened. Somebody told me, I don't see Gordon here, but Gordon somehow fell again <laughs> I hope he's okay there were just <laughs> there were a lot of there was a lot of stuff going on on a Sunday night in the middle of all of that the Holy Ghost moved in a powerful powerful way so if you weren't here you missed it you <laughs> you missed it but just hang around because that's the way we have church around here Amen. We expect God to do great things, and he always does. Our expectation is that he will continue to do great things. And, and so here's another thing. This is probably a, another thing that was interesting is there was so much going on that Brother Brock happened to be standing right down here, and Josiah Cabrera was here from Shafter, and he, he, he's very exuberant. <laughs> he was jumping up and down, and Brother Brock was so fascinated, he started counting how many times he jumped. And there was one moment that he jumped a bunch of times, ran the aisles, came back, and then he jumped 84 times. 
84 times. Ooh, if I only had that kind of energy, 84 times. I mean, some of us, we can't even get our hands up in the air. 84 times up, jumping up and down. Praise God. 80, 84 times. And so I thought I'd couple that tonight because I told Brother Gary Watts, I said, if, you've, if you, he started on a Bible reading program. And at the beginning of this year, he told me, I've never read a book, I've, I, I, but I want to I read the Bible. So we got him a translation. He started reading it. And then he kept telling me how far ahead he was in his Bible reading. And he told me today that this is, uh, what is this? This is May the 30th, May the 30th. He has finished his Bible reading program. He's read entirely through the Bible starting in January. He's finished May 30th. Praise God. <laughs> Man, that is... I might just jump 84 times for you, Brother Watts. I told you I'd celebrate. I said I'd run the aisles. I don't know if I'm going to run the aisles, but I might leap for joy here in a minute, jump 84 times for you. But here's what's, here's what's so awesome about that. When Brother Jordan Johnson was talking to Brother Gary about church and what have you and how much we went to church, and, and Brother Gary realized, well, coming to church on Sunday morning, he, he said, well, Brother Jordan, what am I going to do about my Sunday morning football games? And Brother Jordan just kind of shrugged his shoulders, and he said, I guess I'll just have to miss him because i got to be in church. And he's, he, is, he does not miss. Praise God. And so he turned something in the old lifestyle to something new, and he started reading the Scripture, and he's completed all the way through through the Scripture. And so I, I, I don't know if I've got 84 jumps, Brother Gary, but i got a few. i got a few in me. We rejoice with you. We celebrate with you. We're thankful for what God is doing in your life. Amen. He said, is there another Bible? I mean, what, what do I do next? We got to get in some more. <laughs> we got to get in some more reading material or another Bible reading program. Praise God. Are you excited about what God is doing? Praise God. Are you excited about the kingdom of God, the work of God? Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. So my cup runneth over. I'm, I'm very full here tonight. If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 2 and verse number um, 19. James chapter 2, verse number 19. We'll read one passage. I'll let you sit down, and then we'll read through uh, the majority of this. But this is a verse that is um, memorized often, quoted often, and I want to talk about <laughs> That was only 30, Brother Gary. I gave you 30 hops, but <laughs> praise God. Amen. Just what? You, you had 40, so I was 30. You were 40. That's 70. And what, did you have some? All right. So we got it covered. We, Brother Kaufman jumps up. To, we got it covered. We're celebrating with you. <laughs> praise God. Verse number 19. Thou believest that there, there is one God. Everyone say one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. And so for a few moments here tonight, I want to talk to you about beware of a believing devil. Beware of a believing devil. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your blessing and goodness. We ask that you would direct us tonight. Amen. We thank you because we're standing on a rock, a firm foundation. Your word provides that to us. And in a world that we live in today, we certainly need a foundation and a strength. And so we ask that you would strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen, amen. Praise God. You can be seated. I'm thankful for the Word of God. If you don't know it, we live in a, we're, we're going through a cultural war. It is a cultural war. If any of you have, have been connected with history and you've done any history, Mao Zedong in China, he decided to do a cultural revolution during his reign. He turned everything upside down. He uh, purposely tried to force people completely out of traditions and everything. Uh, and millions of people lost their life. And it was over this cultural revolution. They had people that were going around. The Red uh, Guard was going around making sure people were following their dictates, putting dunce caps on them, having all kinds of trials and what have you. It was a serious, serious mark in history. What we're experiencing right now with everything from Target to Bud Light to Kate Spade to uh, sporting events, uh, and it just goes on and on and on, it's absolutely tiring. But what is happening is we're in the midst of a cultural war. And I hope that it gets better before it gets worse. But our world is caught up and, and is wrapped up in that. <clears throat> Some might say, well, how in the world is that transpiring? What is going on? It's because back behind the scenes, there's an individual by the name of George Soros. This is not, by the way, this is not conspiracy theories or anything like that. This is well documented. George Soros is a billionaire, and he operates a, a group, a conglomerate of people that has a lot of power and financial situations. And he, I don't really know what the reasons are, but he does not like the United States at all. <clears throat> it's a philosophical worldview that he has, and so they have formulated some very powerful financial groups. These financial groups control banks, finance, and they're so powerful that a lot of the corporations uh, pay homage to them. So this is one of the reasons why you get this stuff in some of these stores and people doing some of the stuff that they're doing with advertising and marketing is because <clears throat> these groups have formulated a lobbying group that is very, very powerful that is connected to the financial components of business. And they have what is called a, a Consumer Equality Index, CEI. And so these groups that are very powerful, this lobbying group, they will go to these corporations and they will determine whether or not they have a good grade on the CEI. Well, that includes all of this stuff that we are presently in. And this is why you see corporations, because somebody might say, well, why would a corporation do something to its consumer base that causes it so many problems? It's because the lobbying group is more powerful than the consumers. And so because they're fearful of money, finances, banks, and what have you, withdrawing control and them not getting a good CEI score, they're incorporating some of these marking endeavors, which has to do with gender inclusivity and different genders and transgender and everything else. And so they want to rank really high on that corporate score. This is why all these corporations <clears throat> are doing what they're doing because there is a power behind it. And then they find themselves in a catch-22 because then when they do it and they lose a lot of money, then if they try to withdraw it, then you got the lobby group and then you got all these groups that come at them. And so we just, we live in a really confusing time. Then you have people that will come out and say, I'm opposed to that. And then the minute they do that, here comes the angry mob. And then they, well, I apologize. That's not what I really meant. Listen, I believe it's time for people to stand up and say, this is what I believe. I've got some convictions and I'm not going to back away from that. I'm going to be kind, but this is what I believe. And I'm not going to apologize for my convictions. <laughs> Praise God. <clears throat> 
<clears throat> so that's, if, if you were just wondering, I don't understand why these people, that's, that's why. It's because there's very powerful groups that are operating behind the scenes that also government is aligning to and with, our current government is aligning to and with. And so you take that along with these lobby groups, government lobby groups, and the media, you, that's very, 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 very powerful. And it's powerful enough to where people feel like they can just run over the little guy, which happens to be the consumer that has a conservative value about it, no matter what it is. I mean, it's bad when Bud Light has lost $9 billion because they sent out Mulvaney, which is a transgender uh, person, to market for them. And so it's, it, it, it's running the gamut of everything. We are in a cultural war. What, what are you saying all that for, Pastor? I'm saying we need to continue to be the church and realize that the word of God brings strength and authority, and that's what we're standing on. We're not standing upon some index that determines whether or not we're a good church. And by the way, there are churches that act like they're trying to get a good grade on the CEI index. Listen, we're not beholding to some lobby group somewhere. We, we absolutely have to follow the word of God and say this is where our authority comes from. This is what is sovereign. This is what we're standing on. Praise God. Amen, amen. So that was not in my notes, but I, I've, I've been curious about it. So doing some research, and found out that that's, that's where some of this is coming from. And, and what is the answer? And where does it turn? What does it change? Uh, I don't know. It just depends on where the winds are blowing. I'm hoping for a spiritual awakening. And all, all I can say is we've got to continue to have great, powerful, anointed church. Praise God. Amen. That doesn't back away, back up, give in, step down, step back, apologize for preaching the word of God. So here we are tonight, and we're looking at the word of God. And verse number 14 is where I want to start with this passage of Scripture. So if you have it in James chapter 2, let's read it and let's follow and let's see the context where our Scripture that we read as our text is found. James in verse number 14 says, What doth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and hath not works, can faith save him? And if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give him not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And then here's this verse. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well, the devils also believe, and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seeing thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So that verse that we read here that is a great one God scripture, it's found 
in a greater thought. It's not to be isolated. That would, that we would call that cherry picking or we would, we would call that um, cherry picking. We would call that taking a verse out of something and then making a doctrine just based on that particular verse. And this particular verse is a great one in its, its theology concerning the oneness of God. But it's connected in that context of faith and works. It's not to be isolated because if it's isolated, then we lose the meaning that James is trying to transmit. James is writing to the 12 tribes of Israel, so he's writing to the diaspora. He's writing to all of the Jews that have been spread throughout the world. And he's speaking in his introductory remarks to the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes, what are the 12 tribes? Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Joseph, which is made up of two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh, and Benjamin. So actually, if you add all of those up, there's actually 13 uh, because of Joseph's two sons. So, but the way that you look at the 12 tribes is there were 12 sons. 12 sons would be Joseph, not his sons. But once they entered into the promised land and they were given land, they were given land to 12 tribes. Who were the 12 tribes? So we know the 12 tribes of Jacob included, includes Joseph. But when they go into the land and they're given land, we have Ephraim and Manasseh, but there's still only 12 tribes. How is that so? Well, you take the 12 tribes and you subtract Levi. Levi was not given land because Levi and his descendants worked in the tabernacle and temple. And so they were stewards of the worship system. So they were not given land. So now, now that's 11. Well, and then if you subtract Joseph, then that becomes 10 because Joseph was not given land either, but his two sons were. So you add two, Ephraim and Manasseh, and you end up with 12. So the 12 tribes represent the 12 patriarchs, and then it represents 12 tribes, including two of Joseph's sons minus Levi, and you end up with 12 tribes. That's just, that's an interesting note. <laughs> okay. I know some of you really enjoy that. Some of you are like, what in the world is he doing? So James is writing to that diaspora or that dispersion from the captivity in Babylon, and then Jews were scattered throughout the world. And this is a very, very New Testament document to the church today. James is a very New Testament document to us today, and it has value. And he starts by asking a couple questions in this passage of Scripture. He says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? First, he, he notes, is it possible to separate faith from works? And second, if that is so, can faith alone save a person? James is coming out very, very strong in James and in this passage of Scripture to say emphatically that you cannot separate faith from works. Now, he is intimating that you can have works, but not faith. But he says you cannot have true faith and there not be works that are connected and associated with it. You go back in history, there were some historians, mainly Luther. He did not like James, and when they were trying to collect the books of the Bible, that's a whole other discussion. It's a good discussion. It's a very dense discussion, and that is how is the Bible formulated? How is the Bible formulated? How did it come together? How was a canon formulated? There's a rule or a rubric or a canon that puts the Bible together and the books of the Bible. How did that happen? How did that happen? Did somebody just arbitrarily say, this is what's going to be in the books of the Bible? There's other books, the Apocrypha and the Catholic Bible, 
there's the Apocrypha, books that didn't make it into the canon because it, it, it didn't quite measure up, although the Catholics believe that it's canonical. But for Protestants, they don't believe that the Apocrypha book, and you can read them, they're very interesting, Bell and the Dragon. And there's some historical books like 1st, 2nd, 3rd Maccabees, and we can get stuff from the intertestamental period that help us understand what was going on during that period. But they never made it into the canon. Well, that was a process. People, people took a collection of the books. Jesus acknowledged much of the Old Testament, and so we have something to go on there. But then, in the first century, as some of the other epistles started proliferating, Originally, it was oral tradition, and so you had a period of about 30 years before you find the first book, A.D. 55, somewhere in there, that the Gospels, the first Gospel, and then you start getting some of those. In some cases, some of the epistles preceded some of the Gospels, and so then it became a period of oral tradition where there was a very, very clear understanding and of how stories were told, and they were collected, and they were used, and they had forms. This is why in the Gospels you, you see them, and this is why the Gospels are much alike, because those evangelists are using those forms, those oral traditions, and incorporating that into their Gospels, and they're presenting them in different ways to different audiences. So this, this was a formulation, and it, it was a lot of, of people involved in it, and they came together over a period of time, and they put together something that was called the canon. And, and God was involved in that process. He used people in that process to do that. Some of them were not apostolic. Some of this comes through a lot of history and time and councils and a lot of stuff. And in a lot of the councils, they got a lot of stuff wrong. But in a lot of those uh, meetings and synods and, and, and collection of meetings, there was a, a body of thought of what should go into what we have as the scripture. What is the canon, the books of the Bible? And so during that, that period, eventually, there was a formulation that came together, and this is where we have the scripture, where every single one of these books connect and cross-reference, and it is an absolutely amazing thing. Jordan Peterson, I don't know what his, his faith is. I think at one particular time, he was uh, maybe, I don't know, he's agnostic or what he was, but he keeps creeping closer and closer to Christianity and the word of God. And he created a cross-reference chart that you can see that's absolutely amazing. And it becomes one of the proofs to him that the scripture is valid because he said, how could you get 66 books of the Bible and, and have them cross-reference each other like this? And when he, when he does that, it looks like a rainbow. He's every verse that's cross-referencing every other verse, and it looks like this massive rainbow of all this cross-reference. And so for him, there is, no, there is no way possible you could take 66 independent writers and come up with something that is so cohesive and connects to itself and cross-reference itself. I'm thankful for the scripture, and I'm thankful that there is value and validity in it, and we can stand upon it. We can absolutely stand upon it. He's an amazing thinker. He's in a great thing. He can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with anybody in the world. And so this becomes a, a great illustration that the scripture is interconnected. I said all that to say that Luther, when he was looking at what should be and what shouldn't be in the canon, he absolutely detested and hated James. He said that it was straw and stubble, and he, he didn't like it. Uh, but bless his heart. It didn't matter what he thought, James made it into the canon. And the reason why he didn't like it, again, is connected to history and Luther and faith and the Catholic Church and the selling of indulgences and all the stuff that they were doing. And so it, his, his reaction 
was a reaction against that. And so that's why he marginalized the book of James because he didn't like the word works. He didn't like works because the Catholic Church, based on your works and the money that you could pay, is what created these ideas of salvation. And so he was responding against that. And so he didn't like the, the terminology of works. This became a great debate in history. And so he grabbed verses, <clears throat> excuse me, like, Revel, like Romans chapter 3 and verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And so he would point out verses like that. Romans 4, 3, for what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And so Luther would take those verses and say, you, you don't have to do any works. You just have to believe, and that's all that you have to do. This has become a doctrine in our world of Christianity where you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's all that you have to do, and there is nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you do do. You just believe. However, I would suggest to you that the verses in, Re in Romans where that, that is stated in chapter number 10 about believing on the Lord Jesus Christ are to people that have already been repented, baptized in Jesus' name, and filled with the Holy Ghost. That's written to an established church. And so whatever said in Romans, you have to understand that those people are apostolic believers. And so you can't make a doctrine out of just what you see in Romans. you got to go to the book of Acts because the book of Acts is what was preached to the people in Rome. <clears throat> Praise God. That was real exciting stuff right there. I mean, that's amazing. <clears throat> so it went over some of your heads, but it's really, really good. Either that or you're tired. <laughs> Praise God. So this was an interesting um, discussion in, in history. I think if I could speak for James and what James is saying here, I think James would say something like, Abraham believed in God, and that is precisely why he left the idol-worshiping environment around him and traveled to a land that he didn't know, looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. Attached to his belief was something that produced an action in Abraham's life that said, I'm getting out of the Ur of the Chaldees, and I'm pursuing a land that God is leading me to. And so that is what James is trying to say. He's not trying to say that you can do works that can save you. What he is saying is your faith is going to produce an action in that faith, and it's going to move you to works so that your salvation is secure. It's not based on just works, but it's faith that produces something. If you've got true faith, it's going to produce action. If you've got true faith, it's going to be a catalyst to change some things in your life. You can't just keep living the way that you've always lived just because you believe on Jesus, because Jesus is asking you to change some things in your life, and faith produces that change. Praise God. Hallelujah. Abraham put his faith into action. Verse number 15, if a brother or sister be, he gives these illustrations. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? What is the value if there's no clothes and there's no food given and all you've done is just words? It becomes lip service, says James. And our walk with God should not be just lip service. It should produce actions. And this is what he is, is driving at, which then leads him to say, verse 17, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. 
Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. So there, there is the strong connection. James suggests you could have works, and it could be disconnected from faith. There's a lot of people that do that. But for James, he's saying, my faith will produce works by itself, by itself. Otherwise, if you can disconnect the two, then the faith that you have is a dead faith. You have a dead faith that is left defenseless to the scavengers of the wild, the wild being the realm of unbelief with its phoniness and lack of authenticity. James is not saying you must do works to be saved. He doesn't go down that street. The street that he goes down is that faith by its very nature produces something called action. And that action is the result of faith, which produces works. You can't sever that connection. You say, I know God can. I have faith to believe. I know God can do it. But the minute you say, but that becomes a problem because you don't put action to the faith that is in your life. You need to say, and instead of, but I know God can do it. And I believe it's going to happen. I know that God can heal. And if he doesn't heal me, that's not going to discredit God. I know God can redeem and I believe he can reach to the uttermost and anybody. I'm going to take but out of the equation because that's full of doubt. I know God can redeem, but they've got a lot of problems. I know that God can heal, but the report is not very good. Strip away that negativity and let the faith produce the action that says, and God can do great things. My faith is something I believe in and God can stretch out his arm because it is not short that it cannot reach. There's a right hand of authority and so I'm going to put my confidence in God. Praise God. Let's clap our hands and thank the Lord together. Amen. Praise God. And so James inserts that one God nugget right in there. Verse number 19. Thou believest that there is one God thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. So James is, first of all, there's, there's two parts to that verse. Thou believest that there, there is one God thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. So because there is a semicolon there, those could stand as two separate sentences. So what about the first sentence that James gives to us? He says, thou believest. He's talking about, who's he talking to? He's talking to the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's talking to the diaspora. He's talking to the New Testament diaspora Jews. And he is saying to them, you believe that there is one God. That, that should not come as any kind of surprise because if you're a Jew, you believe in one God. If you're an Old Testament Jew, you believe in one God. And if you're a New Testament Jew, you believe in one God because the, it goes all the way back to the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Sometimes people go into the Old Testament and they try to find verses to build up some kind of philosophical underpinnings for a trinity. There is nothing in the Old Testament. Nothing. I, had, I saw Rob Bell one time try to say, let us in the Old Testament. And he mangled and worked around the Hebrew to try to build something. 
Listen, the Old Testament was written to Hebrews, and ingrained in the Hebrews' DNA is, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You are not going to find any evidence of a trinity in the Old Testament. It is not there. You will never find it. I had one professor tell me, he said, even people that see, and he was Trinitarian, he said, people that look in the Old Testament, holy, 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 as somehow that's the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. He said, that's not what that mean, means at all. He said, there is nothing in the Old Testament that gives us any evidence at all of a trinity because those Hebrews were grounded in this fact. We are different than any other nation around us. They believe in a pantheon. They believe in all kinds of gods. They believe in a multiplicity of gods. What makes us distinct and different is we believe in Jehovah, and Jehovah is one Lord. He's one God, and this is our identity. Now, just... This was fascinating. I about fell over because I was sitting in a class, and he said, uh, the only evidence, this was a Christology class, so he said the only evidence for the Trinity, and he said something even more amazing. He said, uh, even in the New Testament, for all intents and purposes, the people in the first century church believed that Jesus was God. Well, I was like, so everybody else wasn't quite as excited. But <laughs> <laughs> he said, the church, now this is amazing to me. He said, the church expanded so fast. It was all about the work of God, the Holy Ghost, the outpouring. The church was expanding. And, and they, so they didn't, this was his deal. They didn't have time to sit down and really think about Christology. So it was only later when there was a lot of expansion that they could really sit down and now say, okay, now what do we really believe about Jesus and how does that relate to God and and, and so then he said they went back to verses like Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 19. And that's where they started to build and develop the idea of the Trinity that the councils then picked up later, like two, three hundreds and, and formulated their Christology. Well, now let me just say this, OK, let me just say this. I would rather accept the first century church who was closest to Jesus and see how they operated in the book of Acts and the epistles. I'm going to put more weight on what they were saying because it's connected to the Old Testament than to go into the third century that is removed. There were a lot of things that were lost by the third century. We, they lost baptism in Jesus' name somewhere along the way, and that is so very, very clear. So there were a lot of things that were lost. So if I'm going to put my confidence in something, it's not going to be in the third century council or fourth century council, uh, Constantinople or Nicene Creed or anything like that. I'm going back into the first century to look at the first church, and for all intents and purposes, if they believe Jesus was God, I'm going to put my confidence in that. That's why they baptized in Jesus' name, because they believed that Jesus was God. And there was an importance attached to the name. Praise God. Well, man, that's a little bit of extra added information here. Oh, this is so exciting. I know that you're just ready to run the aisles here on this. I mean, this is, wow, this is amazing, uh, dense kind of stuff that really gets people passionate, gets them out of the pew. But it's fun stuff. And it's true. It's the truth. <clears throat> so James said, thou believest that there, there is one God, thou doest well. And uh, we could spend a lot of time, and it's 830, and so I'm not uh, going to go through all of the, the scriptures that that is hinging on. 
James is hinging just a lot of scripture on that first statement. Uh, he could go back to Moses, the I am that spoke to Moses from the burning bush. He could go back to Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse number 6. I am the Lord thy God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Uh, <clears throat> Psalm 46 and 10, be still and know that I am God. Uh, Isaiah 42 verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name and my glory. Will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Isaiah 43, 11, I even I am the Lord and beside me there is no Savior. And so there's a lot in the Old Testament where God is speaking specifically about his being, being one. And then you get into the New Testament and you could go to the I am that spoke to Moses from the burning bush is Jesus who says, I am on his lips to the, the gospel of John over and over and over. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Um, on and on and on. One particular place he said before Abraham was, I am. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so the Yahweh of the Old Testament emphatically declares his sovereignty. And the same words of distinction are found on the lips of Jesus. And so, so what does that mean for us? Well, for us, it means the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And so you do very, very well to believe in one God. And so James, that's what James is uh, postulating here. The second part, though, is the interesting part because it is not a compliment, but it is a reprimand. He says the devils also believe and tremble. The devils believe and tremble. You, you do very good that there's one God. The devils also believe that and they tremble. But because he's talking about in this context, faith without works, that's, that's where this is all interconnected because the devils, though they believe in one God and tremble, the problem with the devils, this is why we're talking about the title here, and that is beware of a believing devil, is because the problem is a devil can believe, but he's disconnected the action. And this is what James is trying to get at in this passage of Scripture. Though the devils believe in one God and tremble, they are still devils because they have unplugged faith from works. And they believe that there is one God, but they're not doing the action or the works of what they believe. It just, it's something that they believe, and they haven't patterned their lives after it. They haven't changed themselves. They haven't formed themselves into something else by the power in God. And so they're saying something, but they're not doing anything. And this is a believing devil. Somebody that says, yes, I believe, but no action is connected to it. This is very, very dangerous. And James says, you can believe that there is one God, but even the devils do that. What James was saying is you cannot disconnect your faith from the action that it produces if you believe in God. There's got to be a connection. There's got to be an action to your faith. You've got to employ faith and see it doing something powerful. You cannot say I am a Christian and yet your life does not show you are a Christian. I am a Christian but you cuss like a sailor. I am a Christian and yet you're angry and abusive. I am a Christian. You have disconnected your faith from the action of the works and this is a problem. I'm, I'm convinced 
here, reading this passage of scripture, this is a modern problem because we've got a lot of people that will profess to know God, but their life doesn't show that they know God. They're believing, but they're just going on the way they've always gone. God didn't call you to keep going the way that you are going. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. He plucked you out of the miry clay to form you into something that is different. We'd not be doing our job as a church in discipling people if we said, just believe on Jesus and that's all that matters. No, faith in Jesus produces a powerful thing, and it produces change, and it produces a discipleship. And so James, trying to get this point across, he gives two Old Testament archetypes. He said, look at Abraham. Abraham was sitting in the earth of the Chaldees, and he had faith to believe in God when God said, Abraham, I'm calling you to another place, and I'm going to bring you into a land of promise. And so Abraham got up from the earth of the Chaldees, went into what, it was the, what is the promised land, and started making that journey. God told him, I'm going to make your descendants as the sand of the seashore and as the stars of the sky. And he waited, and he was patient and there were some other things that got involved there Sarah got discouraged and all of a sudden she gives Abraham Hagar and then we have Ishmael and that creates problems but eventually Isaac comes the one that was promised by God and at some point God said Abraham I want you to take Isaac to Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice him there's a whole message in that why he would do that Abraham was being tested by God to know in fact Abraham do you love me like the rest of the world loves me do you love the rest of the world around you is giving their children up to child sacrifice. Do you have the same passion about the kingdom of God as the world that is around you? Abraham said, you know what? My faith says, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe in you. I don't know how this is going to work, but it's producing something. I'm not just going to sit here on the desert floor and say, God, I believe you'll take care of it. I'm going to take Isaac. I'm going to take the wood. I'm going to take everything. I'm going to the top of the mountain. I'm going to sacrifice him. And God reveals himself in a bush and says I've provided a sacrifice and there was a lamb that was given to him Abraham didn't sit around but his faith was connected to an action and he trusted in God despite all of the of the things that could come in his mind and doubt and fear and unbelief Abraham said you're not disconnecting my faith from the action in doing what God has asked me to do God, I'm going to follow through with it. I'm going to follow through with it. And God responds. And then he gives the other example of Rahab. The harlot, was she justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Rahab, Old Testament archetype. She protects the spies coming into the promised land. Her faith in the God of the Hebrews produced an action to secure them to safety. And so James says, look, when you have true faith, it is connected to action. Is there a possibility you could disconnect faith and just do works? James is, is implying, yes, you can, but not if it's true faith. Because if it's true, real faith, it's going to produce an action. It's going to work. It's going to work. And so <clears throat> this is the landscape that James presents. Not just, I mean, you, you, could, you could go back in the scripture and you could take every one of these examples 
he gave to us Abraham and Rahab. But you could go back to Daniel, David, Moses. You could go back to Hebrews chapter 11 where people are not even mentioned by name, but who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. How? Faith produced action. Quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. Waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of aliens. No, that's not talking about aliens out there somewhere. It's talking about, <laughs> it's, it's talking about uh, powers and armies and nations around them. One time there was somebody that raised their hand and asked if the aliens in this passage of Scripture are talking about extraterrestrials. No. <laughs> the Bible's not talking about extraterrestrials here when he's talking about the armies of aliens. He's talking about armies outside of the Hebrews. Come on, folks. That is hilarious. That is so stinking funny. Uh, okay. And... These people received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. That they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel, uh, cruel mockings and scourgings. They were stoned, sawn asunder, tempted, slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins. They were destitute. They were afflicted. They were tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report, through faith received not the promised God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Their faith produced amazing action and led to us, gave to us, Hebrews chapter number 11, which is the hall of fame of faith. It is the, this is in conclusion here tonight. And we'll just end with prayer. So why don't we stand so we can stop this? <clears throat> this is the culminating statement here. It is a believing devil that does not have faith and action connected to what they say. Amen. And in order to have a faith that is pure, you got to get the I am. You got to get God involved in the process. You've got to trust God and believe God and have a relationship and a walk with God that produces the action in your life that produces works. James said, by my works, I'll show you my faith. And you know what our world needs? Our world needs a people that have faith to believe in God and the action that is connected to that faith produces something in their walk and in their life. Amen. This is what we need. Our world needs that kind of understanding. Our religious world is so confused because one of the reasons why young people are fleeing the church, one of the reasons why a lot of churches are drying up and, and closing their doors is because they can't keep young people. And so eventually you end up with an older congregation and eventually there's nothing there and there's no revival and there's, there's no youth coming up. And so Barna Research went out to try to figure out why. Why is that? And what they got from millennials and Gen Zs or, or people like young people in those age brackets, this is what they said. Going to church, I don't understand where it makes a difference because I'm going to church with people that are acting just like secular people, and so therefore, I don't get it. Why come if the church is going to be secular like the rest of the world? The religious world has lowered the bar so low that now the religious world is much like the secular world, and young people are saying, that's hypocritical, hypocrisy, I don't want anything to do with that. 
That is exactly what the, and the Barna research is just, that, that's a collection of researchers. The church has to raise the bar and say, no, the church is different than the world that is around us. And Jesus is calling us to action. <laughs> Our faith is calling us to action. We got a work to do. Praise God, we got a work to do. And so let us be about the king's business. Amen. Praise God. And everything that we do, children's ministry, youth ministry, uh, young couples ministry, uh, music ministry, uh, every, everything that we're doing, amen, let's put it into action. Amen. And see God do great things. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your blessing and your goodness. We pray that your anointing in your hand would direct us, guide us, and that you would allow us to have a faith that is strong and an action that goes with it that produces great things. Amen. We know we can't do it without you. Your word said without me, you can do nothing. So we recognize and understand it's not on our own talents or abilities and our own, our, our own capabilities, but it's through your empowerment and your strength and your anointing. So we're coming to you tonight, and we're asking that you would help us be a people of faith, a people of action, a people of works. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Greet somebody before you leave the house of God tonight. Amen. What are they having tonight in cafe? I missed it.